So how did Romans 5, 1 through 11 go? Any, any ideas you want to share, verses that stood out to you? Okay. Yeah, that's in that, that just stood out to me. In verse six. In verse six at the yes. right time. I chose verse nine. And I just thought that was <coughs> awesome, like how we have grace with God and that through Christ we can receive that gift. Yeah. We, we started our study off with some hard-to-read passages about how we deserve the wrath of God. Right? And then we had the good news of salvation through grace. And now we get to see what that idea of justification really means for us today. And so this passage is an encouraging one because in it we see um, Warren Wiersbe broke it down into seven spiritual blessings of justification. I liked his wording better than when I went through it on my own. So we're using his wording. That's your handout. Um, and so, um, it, and it's, it is from his commentary, uh, be right. Um, so we're going to just jump right in. Uh, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so... The first word is therefore. So what is the therefore, therefore? Which was what? Yeah. Because of. Yeah, and so. Right. It's, it's a reminder that, that like Abraham, we benefit, we also benefit from justification by faith. Right. And so, so we start to see these verse, these benefits 
Um, verse 1, what does it tell us in verse 1 is a benefit that we experience? Peace with God. That's the first blank on your handout, peace. Um, Isaiah 48:22. I gave to somebody. I think that was yours. Isaiah 48:22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. So there's no peace for whom? Wicked. The wicked. And who are the wicked? Yeah, specifically non-believers, but but yeah, sinners, right? And then um, Isaiah thirty-two seventeen. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. So, what are the what's the effect of of righteousness? Quietness and peace. Um, Isaiah thirty-two seventeen. So when we are condemned by the law, when we think back to the the, the first um, couple of lessons, we're condemned by the law. We cannot enjoy peace with God. But when we are justified by faith, we are declared righteous, and we are no longer at war with God. So we have, we have the, the war is over and we have peace. Then the second spiritual blessing is found in the first part of verse 2. And so what does it say we have obtained? Access. access. So it's access to God. Um, Strong's Dictionary says of this word that, that it that access, that friendly relation with God whereby we are acceptable to him and have assurance that he is favorably disposed toward us. It is, it is literally a leading or bringing into the presence of something. And so in this case, into God, presence of God. Um, it's, it's the thought of the freedom to enter through the assistance of someone else or something else. Um, in, in the Greek language, non-biblical Greek usage, uh, it, was, it was used for the audience or the right to approach um, or the right for someone to approach uh, high officials or monarchs. So if you think back to Esther, right, and she was the queen, but for her to go to the king, if she wasn't invited, he had to hold out the scepter to her for her to have that access. That's what it's talking about. Um, that's, the, that's what that word means. Um, and so um, in, in our ladies' Bible class, uh, we were talking about, it was... This verse came up when we were talking about the the shepherds, ironically, in the story of the nativity. Um, but but it, it was talking about the Jewish temple. Jewish temple was the literal, literally the house of God. It was the home of God. Um, 
And while we don't have the time today to dig in really deep, um, but it's, it's I, I want us to picture Solomon's temple. And so that's the first Kings chapter eight, verses 10 through 11. As the priest came out of the inner sanctuary, a cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their work because the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. So that cloud, that was the same cloud that led the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years. And, and it, was, it was the physical presence of God. And so when we think about the Old Testament temple, uh, we know that there was a veil that separated the Jews from the Holy of Holies. That was the the um, that place where God resided, um, and so that but that was the same veil that was torn upon the death of Christ. Uh, that's in Matthew twenty seven fifty one. If you're interested, but we're not going to read that today. And then the Gentiles, so the Jews were separated by that veil. So they couldn't approach God directly. The Gentiles, they weren't even allowed inside the walls of the temple. They were held out even farther. Um, No one could approach God directly because of their sin. But now we can stand in the presence of God because of grace. We are able to go directly to him in prayer and worship without a separate intercessor. And so we have access to God. And the second half of this verse, of verse 2, gives us another spiritual blessing. What is the, um, what is, what is the, third, the third one on your list? What is the third spiritual blessing that's given? Hope. hope. Glorious hope. Um, it says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And... Um, this word for rejoice can also be translated as boast. And, and so Warren Wiersbe says, in, in Christ, we boast in his righteousness and glory. And this hope that we're rejoicing in, that's the, the anticipation of sharing in God's future glory. This hope is a certainty and not just a wish. And we're going to talk more about this one in Romans when we get to Romans 8. Um, and so I'm not going to go too deep here. But I do, I do want to point out with these first three, when we say we have peace with God, this is God taking care of our past. It's going from war in our pre-salvation state to peace in our present state. Uh, with with access to God, this is taking care of the present. We don't have to wait to approach God. We can go to him now and whenever we want to. And then finally, we have the glorious hope, and that, that is the future. That's the anticipation of what is to come. And so through justification by faith, just in those first two verses, we are blessed in our past, our present, and our future. And then like all those great infomercials, but wait, there's more, <laughs> right? And so uh, let's look at Romans 5, 3 through 5. 
physically enduring, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We're going to sort of camp out here for a few minutes. Paul just said that we rejoice in our sufferings. Shouldn't there be an end to our suffering? Right? In eternity, yes. But while we live in our lives in a fallen world, no. And I don't know about you, but when I'm suffering, I do not always feel like rejoicing. But there's something to, to distinguish here. Paul isn't telling us that we should rejoice for our sufferings, but in our sufferings. There's no joy in the actual troubles, but there's joy in knowing that the rest of, the, of the, that passage is true, that there are definite benefits that result from our trials. Well, if sufferings don't end, but through suffering, then we get the benefits of. Right. So in a sense, it does end. In yes, yes. And he also knew that what we're suffering, quote, suffering, God has allowed it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we need to be in contact with him and uh, he can help us through this. And we can testify for him, you know, even though we're suffering, we can still praise God. Yeah. Yeah, and... and that's exactly it. It's we rejoice because we rest in the knowledge that God is at work in us through this chain reaction of changes that it talks about here. Um, and so our next spiritual blessing for number four is Christian character. So first Paul says that suffering produces endurance. Uh, that's what the, the ESV says. Endurance feels like an odd word choice. You know, when I think of endurance, I think of running or exercising. It's, you know, that idea of building up the, the ability to run farther or to hold a plank a little longer or to lift a little more weight each time. You know, that's, the, that's what I picture with, with in the word endurance. But this idea of endurance is a steadfastness, a constancy, even... Um, even patience. Some translations do do use the word patience there. Um, Strong's Dictionary says in the New Testament, the characteristic, this is for the, the word endurance, in the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is unswerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. It is a single-mindedness that makes us focus on the important things. So then it tells us that endurance, Paul says, endurance produces character. I think the, the phrase, it, it'll give you character, it'll build character, was one of my dad's favorite things to say when I was growing up, right? I heard it a lot. Um, but, but here Paul is saying that after we have that endurance, that steadfastness and focus, that we then get to character. And so what's meant by character? It's, it's something that's been proven and tried. 
Um, it's been tested, shown to be genuine, uh, genuine or valuable. Character is a confidence from having been through an experience. When I played basketball for my high school team, we regularly played in two different tournaments that were held at um, uh, the university the next town over. And so the, the arena was bigger than our high school gym. There were more seats. It echoed differently. Uh, there were fans behind the basket instead of just walls because it's bigger. Um, and so, and, and the court was physically 10 feet longer than our high school gym was. It was different to play there. And so every year, the week before our district tournament, our coach would move the location of our practices to the court of the college in my hometown. Now this court was not exactly the same as the one at, at EKU, um, but, but the one at Bria College was bigger than our high school gym. It had that same length. It had seats behind the baskets. The one at Eastern still was bigger and echoed differently and things like that. But we would practice there because it gave us the experience so that we had confidence going into that tournament. So we walked onto the court at Eastern Kentucky University standing ready to play instead of being overwhelmed by the changes in the location. That's what that, that's what that character is kind of a picture of. It's, it's that confidence and that experience that you had. And then finally it says character produces hope. Hope is a stronger assurance of, a, of and a confidence in one's peace, access to God, and future glory. This is the same word, the same hope, is the same word that was used back in verse 2. It's, it's not a, I hope you can come to the Christmas brunch. It's a confidence that you will come to the Christmas brunch. It's, it's, a, it's a conviction, a hope-filled certainty. And so Timothy Keller says, suffering drives us to the one place where we find real hope, real confidence, and certainty, and that's God. And so the, the story of Ray and I coming to Pennsylvania, it's an interesting one. And while I can't, I, just for lack of time, don't have the time to share the whole thing, um, God's timing in our move to come here um, is, it, is the part that I'm going to share. We knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that we were supposed to move to Pennsylvania from Kentucky. We put our house on the market in April to be ready when Ray graduated from seminary a few weeks later. Immediately, uh, you know, we, and we chose that time because our realtor said summer's a popular time to buy a house, and that's when we could easily move, even though our kids weren't in school. It just good time for moving, good time for, for being able to um, find parks and playgrounds and activities um, and, and to be able to meet people when we did move. Immediately, there was a lot of interest in the house. We showed the house a lot. And with two kids under the age of three, that was quite the challenge. Um, <laughs> In May, we were called to the church over in Mannheim, 
and they graciously agreed to, to wait for us while we waited for the house to sell. We waited and we waited and we waited. We went all summer with multiple showings of the house every week. We were the second choice a lot. This was definitely teaching us patience and endurance. Our focus was on the church where God had called us. We had visited a second time. We had looked at houses, apartments, daycares. We were, we were ready to go. Um, and, and we knew that whenever God was ready, we would, we would be ready to go. By October, we knew we had made the church wait long enough, and we decided to go ahead and move before the house sold. So this meant making a rent payment and a house payment. This meant renter's insurance and homeowner's insurance. This meant having someone shovel the driveway and sidewalk when it snowed, which in Kentucky was not that often, but it still did happen. And boy, did this test my faith. But when we moved in November, my heart was at peace. I had passed that test and I was ready for God to work. And then my job that was originally supposed to be work from home for nine months before then reevaluating the situation became work from home for four months and I was done. My last payment, my last paycheck was going to come at the end of March. But we knew even with two, two uh, rent payment and a house payment, two insurances, somebody going to mow the grass, we knew that God was going to make a way for us financially. And then we got a phone call from our insurance company that because our house was unoccupied, they were going to cancel the homeowner's policy at the end of March. We knew God would make a way to find alternate coverage or he would protect the house. And then, yes, I know exactly that it was 10 months, two weeks, and five days, over 125 showings on our house. We got an offer on the house on February 28th. We reached a deal on March 1st, and praise God, they wanted to close quickly, and so they closed March 18th. The trial of waiting for our house to sell gave us perseverance, and that perseverance led to character, and that character gave us hope just like Paul said it would. Our house selling is one of those rocks in our bowl of rocks that I showed you last week. Um, we've seen God work through the timing of that. We've seen God, that his plan was, was just perfect in, um, in the, not just the timing of our move, but the timing of my job ending. Um, but that's another story for another day. But the point is this, if you stop and you think about it, I hope you can come up with a story like mine, that you can look back at God bringing you through a trial and seeing the way you benefited and grew from it. Warren Wiersbe says, trials bring us closer to the Lord and make us more like the Lord. And so suffering is a part of life in a fallen world, but your mindset is what determines how you deal with the suffering. Suffering when you have a clear grasp of salvation by grace through faith and not works brings you increased joy. Suffering when you believe in salvation by works will break you. 
Deep down, you know you aren't living up to the standards, so you're insecure. You see it as a punishment. Or sometimes you see suffering as just another work that you have to, to do to be saved. You would also have no confidence in God's love because they believe, or because you would believe that you are inadequate based on your works. So one thing about suffering I do want to point out, and um, I think Sandy kind of hinted at it, while suffering can awaken a person to their sin, God always does it out of love. It isn't a punishment. Your punishment for your sin was already served by Jesus on the cross. Consequences happen because we live in a fallen world. But those consequences aren't a punishment. That punishment has already been served. And so in in Timothy Keller's commentary, um, Romans 1 through 7 for you, that's what it's called, he wrote out a section that he called case study. I have copied, um, I made a copy for each of you. This is something that I, I challenge you to take some time this week to sort of walk yourself through this case, uh, case study for, for a specific trial that you're facing or have recently faced. Um, and then after you walk through it, the key thing I want you to think about is the next time you suffer, what would you do the same and what would you do differently? What steps do you need to take so that you can rejoice in your suffering as you see it produce endurance, character, and hope. We don't want to walk away from reading the Bible unchanged, and so we want to take that opportunity. And since you have two weeks before our next study, that's you know a bonus week, so you get a bonus assignment. Um, but I just encourage you, it's not something you have to share with anybody, though you're welcome to come back and share that with your small group or um, share it with your spouse, what, what you're wanting to work towards for accountability purposes. But the, the goal is really just to have you think about your suffering and think about how your salvation changes that for you. Um, Morgan? Yes. Yeah. How much would I rely on the Lord? How much would I have a prayer life? How much would I be in His Word? So that's right. Just, I just think sometimes. Yeah, with. I want to say it's necessary, but we need to go through some suffering. Yeah, without the. I, you know, back to a basketball reference. Without the loss, the win isn't quite as sweet. Right, and and so without the suffering. You, you don't have that same joy, I think. Yeah, and I've, I've often, you know, looked at people and just wondered, I don't, you know, I see non-Christians and I, I have no idea how you're going to make it through this because I don't know how I would make it through it if I weren't, if I didn't have God to rely on. And so, yeah. Yeah. As an aside, but it was interesting to me from my man Warren Wearsby, um, instead of suffering Several Bible versions use the word tribulation there. 
He says, our English word tribulation comes from a Latin word, tribulum. In Paul's day, a tribulum, and, and Latin being the language of Rome, a tribulum was a heavy piece of timber with spikes in it that was used for threshing the grain. The tribulum was drawn over the grain and it separated the wheat from the chaff. And as we go through tribulations and we depend on God's grace, those trials only purify us and help us to get rid of the chaff. So I thought that was very interesting. thought I would share it. Maybe one of you in the room would, would be interested by it. So, yeah. So then we'll move on to Romans 5, 5 through 11. Yes, I know we already read verse 5, but we're going to read it again anyway. Um, So, so our next spiritual blessing is found in verses five through eight, and it is, it is God's love within. And so verse, verse five is connected to verses three and four with that chain reaction when we specifically see God pouring out love into our hearts. You know, we experience more love while suffering. And we, we know God's love because we experience that pouring out. Of, of his love into our hearts. Um, over many, many years, probably started in high school, because you can see that one's from a typewriter. Um, I started just collecting different stories, poems, quotes, ones that were meaningful, ones that had a good, good moral. Um, so I don't know where they all came from. Some were from books. I do have some that were written by my grandfather that died before I was born. Some were emails, conferences I attended. I have this whole binder full of them. Um, so it made me think of this particular one. And um, this one, probably have heard some version of it because I've heard multiple versions of, of this story as well. But this particular version is by John W. Manser. Who knows, don't know who he is, but it says, whatever their planned target, the mortar rounds landed in an orphanage run by a missionary group in the small Vietnamese village. The missionaries and one or two children were killed outright, and several more children were wounded, including a young girl about eight years old. People from the village requested medical help from a neighboring town that had radio contact with the American forces. Finally, an American Navy doctor and nurse arrived in a jeep with only their medical kits. They established that the girl was the most critically injured, and without quick action, she would die of shock and loss of blood. 
a transfusion was imperative, and a donor with a matching blood type was required. A quick test showed that neither American had the correct type, but several of the uninjured orphans did. The doctor spoke some pidgin Vietnamese and the nurse a smattering of high school French. And using that combination, together with much impromptu sign language, they tried to explain to their young, frightened audience that unless they could replace some of the girl's lost blood, she would certainly die. Then they asked if anyone would be willing to give blood to help. Their request was met with wide-eyed silence. After several long moments, a small hand slowly and waveringly went up, dropped back down, and then went up again. Oh, thank you the nurse said in French. What is your name? Hang, came the reply. Hang was quickly laid on a pallet. His arm was swabbed with alcohol and a needle inserted in his vein. Through his or this ordeal, Hang lay stiff and silent. After a moment, he let out a shuddering sob, quickly covering his face with his free hand. Is it hurting, Hang? the doctor asked. Hang shook his head. But after a few moments, another sob escaped, and once more he tried to cover up his crying. Again, the doctor asked him if the needle hurt, and again, Hang shook his head. But now his occasional sobs gave way to a steady, silent crying, his eyes screwed tightly shut, his fist in his mouth to stifle his sobs. The medical team was concerned. Something was obviously very wrong. At this point, a Vietnamese nurse arrived to help. Seeing the little one's distress, she spoke to him rapidly in Vietnamese, listened to his reply, and answered him in a soothing voice. After a moment, the patient stopped crying and looked questioningly at the Vietnamese nurse. When she nodded, a look of great relief spread over his face. Glancing up, the nurse said quietly to the Americans, He thought he was dying. He misunderstood you. He thought you had asked him to give his blood so the little girl could live. But why would he be willing to do that? asked the Navy nurse. The Vietnamese nurse repeated the question to the little boy who answered simply, she's my friend. And so this boy was willing to die for his friend. <clears throat> kind of makes you think about who you'd be willing to die for, right? And so in verse 7, Paul talks about the way humanity thinks about giving up our lives for others. It's not common for someone to be willing to give up their life for someone else, even for someone who is good. But then in verse 8, we see my two absolute favorite words in the Bible, but God. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know God loves us because of the death of Christ. And Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, while we were completely separated from God. We were unworthy, unrighteous, unholy. We weren't even his friend like the boy in the story. That is true and genuine love from God. Then verses 9 and 10, they give us our next spiritual blessing. And so what does verse 9 say that we are saved from? The wrath of God. And so on your handout, it's written salvation from future wrath. Salvation from future wrath. 
Judgment is coming, and with that comes the wrath of God, a deserved punishment. But no believer, no true believer will ever experience it. And so let me read verse 10 again. For if while we were enemies, remember we were at war with God because of our sins, we were reconciled to God, so we were justified and given peace. So we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So he will do much more for us than just salvation because we are no longer enemies, but friends loved by God. So in other words, if Christ's death accomplished so much, how much more will he do in our life as our intercessor in heaven? And then our final spiritual blessing is found in verse 11. And that one is reconciliation with God. Reconciliation. Reconciliation means we are brought back into fellowship with God. And so if you remember back in Romans 1, mankind declared war on God and we deserved condemnation. But instead, God sent his son as peacemaker. And now we see that God, through Jesus, gives us certainty in our salvation. And we're not going to go much detail on that one because we will look at that in January with Romans 6. Um, so we're going to save that part for later. And so don't forget, we will not meet next week due to the Thanksgiving holiday. So you will have two weeks to finish the rest of chapter 5 and to do that just to walk through that case study. Um, and then we... Character, yes. Sorry. And so then we can break up into our small groups and have a great week.